0: Good evening, my name is Heath Josky from Streaky Bay in the Great Australian Bite. I've come from the opposite side of the globe. So
1: that voice might sound a little bit familiar. Uh, That is uh, Heath Josky speaking at the Equinor AGM. This podcast series finale for the Fight for the Bite is all about this moment that took place in the AGM, a few of the different players involved, and what it's really all about to speak truth to power through this this forum called an annual general meeting and and does it matter and what kind of difference can it really make so i hope you learned something i certainly did through the process and um yeah let's keep fighting the good fight in summer
0: and the place i take my family to play relax and connect with nature it is
1: so we'll come back to heath's full speech again at the end of the podcast just to enjoy the moment one more time when you're going to an AGM, uh, it's different in different places, but in the case of Norway, anyone who owns a share, one single share in, in a company, they can turn up to an AGM and they can have their say in front of the, the board and the CEO and everyone else involved. Different countries have different rules. Uh, we won't dive into all of the different rules of each uh, stock market, but what we thought, well, what I thought would be a good way to kind of educate everyone about the situation is to talk to someone who's an activist shareholder. So Meet Britt O'Brien. Mr. Runa. So you, you've you kind of found yourself in this kind of position of whipping the troops in the shape, I reckon.
2: Yeah. What exactly are you doing? What exactly what's, am what's I the doing? Plan here? Well, I've probably been to more AGMs than, well, I've definitely been to more AGMs than I care to remember. Okay. So I am using that experience to give everyone a bit of a flavour of what it's going to be like in there and to try to... Yep, you know, help people understand what, what how to be. It was.
1: That oh was no. a very flustered uh, Heath Josky that interrupted there, but maybe it is time to uh, let Bryn introduce herself. What's the ACCR exactly?
2: ACCR is the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility. We're activist shareholders, so we hold small positions small amounts of shares in really big companies and we try to use those shareholdings to engage with companies as their investors as their owners and try to influence their behavior
1: is this something that just anyone can do anyway like individuals can literally do the same thing, right?
2: Yeah, they can. Um, but individuals working together have specific rights, at least under Australian law. So in Australia, you need a hundred shareholders standing together to agree on a proposal and put,
1: put excuse up a the so rolling wheels. Out. There, we're, we're literally running out. a little bit late for the AGM itself. Maybe, um, uh, preparations you know, kind of got a little bit out of, people out
2: of hand. People who hold sh- um, direct shareholdings in companies. Um, under Norwegian law, it's one shareholder can put a shareholder resolution. So mm. um, it depends on the jurisdiction.
1: okay. and And this type of activist shareholding, like is this something um, you know what are some of is it a successful thing? like do you, do you get a lot of wins?
2: Uh, so it depends, I guess, what you what you mean by win. Certainly um, in terms of changing company behaviour over time, absolutely. So the biggest program that ACCR has worked on over the last couple of years has been about trying to diminish the power of fossil fuels lobbyists in Australian politics, essentially. Um, fossil fuels lobbyists are funded by companies. Many of those companies like BHP and Rio Tinto are listed companies and like Equinor um, are listed companies. Uh, so um, what we been able to do is get uh, companies to review their relationships with lobbyists, tell their lobbyists to not do some of the worst kind of lobbying. So to not, for example, keep arguing again against a carbon price in Australia. Um, so we do see change, but it's not. There's it's it's a supporting tactic to other campaigns. It's it's not a campaign in itself. It's a tool more than a campaign.
1: Interesting. And as far as its effectiveness here, like what do you expect this kind of activist moment here to really kind of lead to in, in the Equinor AGM?
2: Um. So Equinor is sixty-seven percent owned by the Norwegian state. Um, so uh, it's it's a really uh, different kind of company to the ones we usually deal with, where you know hundred percent of the shares are just listed on the regular market. Uh, you know the biggest shareholder might own five percent. This is a really different kind of a beast. So um, we expect that the Norwegian state uh, will not vote against the company on, on our proposals, so we don't expect to, to go anywhere near winning it. But if you then look at the remaining 33% of shareholdings, um, say you get, you know, um, uh, 6% of those shareholders maybe, that I think that would probably be a reasonable number to expect, around, you know, somewhere between 3 and 6%. Then you're talking about between 10 and 20% of the company that's not the state. So it'll just be really interesting to see how shareholders respond to to these proposals. Certainly not expecting anything to be carried by the meeting, but what this does is it raises an issue of importance to the broader shareholder base of of Equinor. Um, And certainly they have been under uh, pressure from their large uh, climate-aware investors, so large institutions that care about climate change. They've already experienced some pressure on these issues from them.
1: So that's activist shareholding in a nutshell with Bruno O'Brien. One of the things that was interesting to see as an observer at uh, with the delegation was that there was a lot of different stakeholders who who were who were all kind of, Definitely working together, but certainly um, trying to make sure that all the different voices were heard at the AGM. You had people from Greenpeace in Norway. You had people from uh, the Wilderness Society in Australia. Heath Joski was also there and, and also actually Ziggy Alberts was at the front playing some music as well. There were lots of different people with lots of different uh, views on the issue Some ranging from the effect of the proposal on local fisheries and the local marine habitats, others more concerned with the bigger picture stuff concerning climate change. Um, But one of the interesting groups that was represented in, in this AGM was that of the traditional owners of the land, and I had the really good fortune to speak to Buna Laurie uh, just before he went into the AGM to get his perspective on Ecuador and, and what, what it was that everyone was doing there. Because the idea was to get the biggest and broadest chorus of voices to speak at this AGM. So here's a quick chat I had with Buna Laurie just before he went in. Okay, Banner, I thought, I mean, the first thing I guess would be really cool is to introduce you to the people listening. A lot of them will be from Norway and Sweden and may not have heard about you or your music career in the past and things like that, so.
3: Weyno, in my language, means hello, greetings, from Banner-Laurie from Australia, the Great Australian of the Murning tribe. My name is Banner-Laurie from the Murning Whale tribe. I'm an elder whale songman and keeper, custodian, protector of the whale, ocean, and nature. We come from nature and ocean and whale dreaming, whale dream time. Consultation is very important, but we, myself, mourning elders and people, have not been consulted, the traditional owners. There will be no oil c- company to drill for oil in our great australian bite we will not we will never allow any oil drilling in the great australian bite ever in the whale century and whale nursery ever
1: being an aussie in this moment was kind of weird i've never actually spoken to a traditional owner about any threats to their land so hearing from bunner about how he felt and just seeing the look in his eyes it was a, it was a pretty serious moment pretty quite profound
3: it's a home of the whale and their habitat and our home, the mourning people and the Australian people. You are not welcome to, welcome to drill for oil in our bite, waters and country home. We belong there with the whales, our home belonging. That is the last pristine ocean left. One of its kind, mankind will never make it any greater than what Mother Nature has provided us with. Mother Nature has provided us, provided us with everything that we want. We love it like the way it is, because it's beautiful and pristine. There is no future for oil in our great Australian bite. My Murning people, whale tribe, have looked after the whales and seacoast country for 120,000 years in the past and in the beginning, up to today, the whales and seacoast country for 120,000 years and kept it beautiful, and we continue to do so and carry on in our responsibilities and duties.
1: So you are not welcome here. And boy, does he mean it. With, um, with your um, involvement here, like, what do you expect um, this moment in the AGM? You know, how important is it for you? Or is, there, is it just one part of the bigger fight?
3: Well, it is important for me too. You know, coming from, as you know, I'm an elder, and I'm coming from one of the directors of the Aboriginal Elders you know, um, we have a group of Aboriginal elders who who work together and you know look after the younger generation and look after. We have a responsibility and duty to to care for that country hmm. and uh, you know mainly because of our our connection to the country and our culture and our history to our ancestors. You know, we have we have a really special duty and, and uh, responsibility to, to carry on and be able to always you know be the keeper and looking after that land, going back you know cleaning out waterholes and. Uh, you know, f- for birds and animals to have e- fresh water all the time, make sure there's water for them, and we only take what we need from them. We also visit the sacred sites of the ancestors and also the burial sites. Not only really of our ancestors and our grandfathers, and our people, the many people, but also we visit the, the grave sites of the the whales because it's very sacred, and the whales come come to the country to also do the same thing. They're just so, you know... So amazing creatures uh, that, and clever that they do what we do. They visit their, you know, their family's grave sites as well, and we know where they're along all along that bite. and uh, we do it in harmony to, to protect it, and you know, just to let them know that we're there, to always there for them, to help them and care for them, and also, you know, when we go to the places like the Whale Sanctuary, the head of the Bight, and Whale Nursery, they know that we come there, and we sing to them, and you know, my people have been
4: uh,
3: My people have been there. Um, Marine vets from the beginning of time, and also, you know, tool makers and um, stone stone masons from the beginning of time. So you know, and we look after that country, and you know, and we know every bush Tucker there. We know every season when the whales come. We know what seasons they come, and because the different flowers grow, different vegetation grow at the time of the coming and of the rain. So you know, we we're in tune with nature. And we want to be able to teach everybody and how to connect with land and you not know, the main thing is, is we must keep um, you know oil, expo- oil exploration out of that, that country because it's natural. We want to be able to keep it natural, so like the way it is, because we want to be able to keep what we have. And uh, if people will come along and destroy it, well then you know it's it's game over. You know mm. it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the way it should be. So uh, like I said, 120,000 years of history down the tube. You know mm. I mean spilled everywhere mm. because of. Uh,
1: you know greedy people want money and um, um, to live a Christian life or whatever you know. And, but is there a problem like with, like is this something that's really lost on a lot of um, non-indigenous people, this this real connection to the animal world? Have we really lost it? I mean not all of them, you know some people still, still go out there and do that.
3: And, mm. and still um, carry on the duty of this. I know a lot of them native titles to go back to the country and native title gives them a right, but not the full right, but at least it's something going back to the country to to keep that connection and that mm. relationship, you know, with the country and all the animals that have lived there in mm. the past too as well. And you know, whale to us, you know, is, is dream time. We, we believe in that belief we come in the dream time. Of the whale, mm. It's our life is our story, history, and uh, we've got to continue to uh, be able to um, practice that, you know, and keep up that friendship. Mm. <coughs> yeah. Otherwise, you know, this life is not worth living. You know, if, if it's all lost and gone, and you you lose all your friends, you know, man will live a lonely, lonely life, or die a lonely life on planet Earth. that.
1: Man will live a lonely life on planet Earth. Those are the words of Lorry, traditional owner, who was there with us in uh, Norway to go to the AGM with Equinor. Huge thanks to him for. Having a chat before he walked in And gave a great, a great speech um, It was truly moving I forgot to mention when I introduced him That he's actually a really famous musician in Australia And he was uh, the leader of a, of a group called Coloured Stone And this music in the background you can hear Is actually him singing along uh, A great song called Black Boy One of their more popular songs At least on Spotify I'll uh, provide a link to the album in the show notes So that you can all check it out It's, um, it's pretty cool stuff So... How about you enjoy that for a second? is pretty good stuff. So while Banner Laurie spoke a bit about um, his care for the local environment uh, and the region itself, you know, from the perspective of the traditional owners in South Australia and in particular in the Bight, um, there was another group in the stakeholder group that came to the AGM uh, from the Wilderness Society, which I won't give too much of an introduction to the Wilderness Society, but they do a lot of great work in Australia um, kicked off originally around a particular campaign in Tasmania, and I had a chance to talk to uh, Peter Owen and Jess Lurch, two people who uh, work with the Wilderness Society in South Australia. And this is me in discussion with Peter just outside okay, so the AGM outside the before they walked AGM in. Here at Equinor. Um, do you want to introduce yourself for everyone listening?
4: Yeah, uh, my name's Peter Owen. I'm the director of the Wilderness Society in South Australia.
1: What, is, um, what does the Wilderness Society usually do? What's its kind of um, activities that it does, in, in particular in relation to the fight for the bite? Um, well, for,
4: if we go back, I guess, almost 15 years, the Wilderness Society's had a focus in South Australia of, of largely protecting this magnificent marine wilderness area. Um, you know, we worked for years to protect the Nullarbor Plain and the the cli- cli- cliff line of the Great Australian Bight. That's now a Wilderness Protection Area. Uh, now the Great Australian Bight is covered in state and federal marine parks. Uh, all of the offshore islands are wilderness areas. You know, it's it's a conservation estate of global proportions. It's it's an area that probably needs to, to move toward World Heritage listing. It's a totally inappropriate place for offshore oil drilling. So. You know, five years ago, I guess we um, we launched a campaign to to stop BP with their plans to push for oil, oil a deep sea oil drilling in the bite, and, and that was successful. Um, that was followed by Chevron, who then also pulled out in 2017. But Equinor have pushed on. Um, so now, obviously, the, the focus is is here. It's on Equinor. Equinor is a two third uh, Norwegian um, government owned company. So we're we're over here. Um, you know, presenting our case, showing films, talking to the Norwegian people and letting them know that back in Australia there's massive opposition to what Equinor are proposing. Opposition, I would say, on an unprecedented level. Um, you know, we're seeing thousands of people come out almost on a weekly basis standing across beaches, paddling out into the water. Um, you know, we've seen something like 17 or 18 coastal councils across southern Australia now pass resolutions raising serious concern or, or opposition to these proposals. That's unheard of in Australia. So I guess we're really bringing that message to the people of Norway and saying, "Hey, our country doesn't want this, and you're in a position where you can control this company, Equinor, who are pushing to drill in our in our bay, our marine wilderness area, our sacred place, if you like." I mean it's interesting, we've met with a lot of people, there are sacred places over here too. The Lofoten region is obviously off limits for drilling and we've spoken about you know this is the equivalent to an Australian oil company coming over and pushing to drill in the middle of Lofoten, and there'd be outrage in Norway and you know, we, would, we would come, we would stand with them and it's been fantastic and really quite humbling to experience the hundreds and hundreds of people in Norway that have come out and stood with us. Um, and that, I think, is really a powerful thing. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's an amazing atmosphere here. There has been for the week we've we've been in in Norway with the delegation and all the events we've had. They've been very warmly welcomed, Um, and that gives me a lot of of, of confidence. Um, You know, we've got the AGM now, but within a day or two we'll be heading back to Australia Um, and thinking about, you know, the months ahead. And how we continue to, to raise awareness about the fact that uh, you know what Ecuador are proposing to do is totally totally inappropriate.
1: Yeah. What's the timeline like with that kind of these months ahead and, and what you might expect to come out of this moment today? where you're about to walk inside to this um, AGM of, a, of the what is most likely one of the largest, if not the largest company. In, in Norway, mm. it's kind of a big deal. Mm. Um, what, what do you expect to happen and what are the next steps after here in a more concrete mm. sense? Can you map it out?
4: Yeah, like, I, th- I think today is very much ad- addressing the board and the shareholders in, in a very respectful way. I mean, f- for me, that, is, that has been the whole point of, of this journey, is, is for us to come over and respectfully say, um, Australia and Norway are friends. but but this proposal is not friendly because the the people of Australia don't support it. Um, You know, it's it's not right. Um, So we'll be very much presenting that case to the Equinor Board. Um, You know, I think there's probably been some bad decisions made, maybe some misunderstandings. You know, I sometimes wonder whether people are even aware of the level of opposition in Australia or the environmental significance of the bite. So that's very much what we're here to do. Um, I mean, the campaigns, obviously, and, and the, the community opposition to what they're proposing to do in Australia is now massive. I mean, it's, you know, there, are, there are politicians breaking ranks with political parties in order to save their seats as we speak. You know, it's a big deal in our country in Australia. Um, and it's fast becoming a big deal internationally. And the, I think the Equinor board must be seeing that. I mean, in the last few weeks, we've had you know, mining billionaires, airline billionaires, all sorts of people coming out and saying, nah. This, this, this is not right. Um, this sort of drilling in the bite, you know, can't proceed. So it's, you know, the campaign's gone from, um, I guess, a local to a national campaign in Australia to now an international campaign with some very big, big voices, you know, standing behind essentially the fight for the bite, the fight to protect the great Australian bite, the fight to protect our climate because that's what this is. This one's about protecting a magnificent marine wilderness area, but also stopping the expansion of the fossil fuel on industry on potentially a massive scale, which is just something that we can't afford to let happen. Yeah. If we're going to have any chance of a livable climate in the future, it's it's quite simple. You know, this one's a line in the sand.
1: You've been in a line the in the sand while, indeed. Uh, it's interesting with life, that quick mean, chat I had with little uh, little Peter little little Owen little before he walked into the AGM that one of the points he raised was that many of the people on the board or the shareholders may not have been fully aware of the potential impacts of this particular um, drilling operation on the you know the the wilderness area in the in the great australian bite and that you know part of what he was really trying to do was to educate people even more and it's it's quite an interesting thing to acknowledge like with big companies that Many of the shareholders probably don't really know the details about what's going on inside the companies they own shares in. They just kind of look at the stock price and hope that it keeps on going up. But um, it was really interesting to hear that. And also just that um, connection between not only is this a problem for the natural environment, but it's also a bigger picture thing about the expansion of the fossil fuels industry. So this is a climate issue, um, and it is one that we need to take quite seriously. But I caught up also with one of his colleagues, Jess Lurch as well, before she went into the AGM. Um, she performs you know, similar roles to Peter Owen in the Wilderness Society, but it was really great to get her take on things. Um, she, she comes from a different kind of background, a policy background, and particularly climate policy. So here's what she had to say before we walked into the AGM.
5: Indeed it is, Josh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're a few, what are we, two hours away from the AGM. What exactly are you going to try and achieve inside that AGM today?
5: I think there's probably two things for me Mm -hmm. um, that are the most important. I feel like many people in the community in Australia are really feeling as though Equinor isn't listening to their concerns. I think it's really a big opportunity for us to come here onto Equinor's home soil and insist that they listen to them um, and to be able to articulate those concerns in the breadth that they actually exist because there are lots of reasons that Australians are resisting Equinor's plans. Um, And they're different for many people, but we're coming together collectively to ensure that this can't happen in our backyard. I think it's really powerful, uh, and I hope that they see the power of that. I think the other point, for me in particular, is that I want to test whether Equinor still stands by its previous statements to the Australian community, that it won't push through resistance. That's what I'm really specifically hoping to get out of my question to the board today. Um, although they have said that in the past, it's clear to me that is there is significant and growing resistance in Australia. Um, so I'm really keen to see what they have to say to that question.
1: In terms of your role with the wilderness, this is the part where I actually off get off just to speak 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 introduce herself properly. Introduce in I kind of got it right, I think
5: and kind of
1: what's the work that you do?
5: Yeah, my role is as the National Climate Change Campaigner in the Wilderness Society. I'm part of the national campaign team. Um, We tend to offer support with some sort of specialist skills to different campaigns around the country. Um, Because I've got a background in climate change policy and working with the government, Um, I've got a particular interest in working on campaigns that have a really specific climate change focus. Um, Many years ago, we identified that the Bight was one of Australia's new fossil fuel precincts. Um, And that we clearly can't continue to open those up in Australia. And that's where I've really dedicated a huge amount of my time in the organisation um, to ensuring that that can't happen anymore. I think it's also a really important watershed for Australians to realise that, A, we do have a massive fossil fuel problem in Australia and we clearly can't afford to keep adding to that problem. Um, So for me, it's a real line in the sand campaign. Um, I particularly work uh, very closely with regulators um, and with government Uh, And also to really check that everything is happening legally um, and to ensure that we have opportunities available to us um, if they are not conducted legally.
1: So that was Jess Lurch there. You know, uh, Talking about the community consultation problem in particular, um, it was really good to get her take on things. And um, one of the interesting uh, pieces of information that's popped up very recently, I'm going to give a wrap up at the end to give a status update on where things are at. But um, it turns out that Equinor did in fact consult uh, the locals. Uh, They've stated that they consulted everyone within a 40 kilometre radius of the well, which is very good if there were humans there to talk to, given that the well is actually 400 kilometres out to sea. So unless the good folks at Equinor have learned how to speak dolphin and whale, it seems like they haven't really taken into consideration anyone's concerns. It's a broad group of stakeholders that got involved for this uh, delegation in Norway, one of which was a unique character named Rune Waldness, a Norwegian who'd been living in Australia for quite some time and found himself thrust into the middle of this whole thing. Um, Rune was taking photos of the demonstrations and felt compelled to to step in not only on behalf of the planet but also due to the reputational damage being done to Norway and to uh, Equinor as well. So here's a quick chat I had with him. How did you get involved oh. in the campaign?
6: So I was I was sitting in Australia, mm. uh, hearing about this campaign. Uh, it was actually um, uh, I in some way I can't really I can't actually remember what happened. But I got in touch with the Wilderness Society, and I think they had realized that uh, whatever happens in Australia needs to be heard in Norway because Norway is where Ecuador had their... Reputation. Uh Nor spend a lot of money on the reputation in Norway, not so much in Australia. So they just understood that, like the fight for the bite, need to be heard in Norway. Uh, so I, um, I got in got in touch with them. We we, we, we talked about that, and I, I said, well, that is a good plan. We we need to we need to make the Australian voice heard in heard
1: in Norway. So with that, um, you know, today we're at the AGM. We're about to kind of walk in. You're wearing a really nice suit. It's like the best dress I've seen you so far on the campaign. Yeah. Um, are you, what are you, what's your kind of message that you're taking to the AGM today? So we're, we're all kind of lined up with
6: different questions and they're all important questions. I'm actually speaking as a Norwegian that lives in Australia and see, sees this campaign happening around me. Uh, I'll be talking about what it feels like as a Norwegian going to a paddle out with 4,000 Australians that, has, that have come to that paddle out for the, for the one reason that my country is planning to drill in the Great Australian Bight. Uh, when, when I was there, I, I was there to take photos. I was together with the Wilderness Society and I just, I was just running around with my camera for a few minutes. And then that, that's when that just dawned upon me that everyone around me, all those 4,000 people, okay. are just angry with Equinor and my country. And um, I look around at all like the placards and posters, they're mentioning Equinor, they're mentioning Norway. You know, Norway and Norway is, is, is one of those slogans that have been, been used. And that's really harsh for a Norwegian because we are, we're close to our state, um, close to our government, and close to Ecuador. We have all grown up with it. We all, we all know that Norway is a, is a wealthy country due to oil, and a lot of Norwegians, I think, have a hard time realizing that that actually has to stop now. We have to come up with something else to live from because we can't keep burning fossil fuels anymore. Yeah. I will also see... I'll, um, so I, I've just been in Norway for three weeks now for this visit, and Norwegians are really across climate change. No one disagrees with the Paris Agreement here. All that is all good. Everyone is kind of on board what needs to happen. But the moment you start talking about the, the things that you're actually going to do to reach those goals, like, for example, not drilling for oil in the Great Australian Bite and criticizing Equinor, that's when Norwegian get kind of a little bit uh, careful. They are afraid of critiquing Equinor kind of just right away because they also understand their significance. Um, and that's, and that's hard, right, because uh, we, we come here with this, with this campaign and we have to spend a lot of time telling the full story because Norwegians are also kind of, they want to know the facts. They're not going to support something if they th- think it's like, or like some kind of half made up argument. They have to be able to again tell their friends why they support this. So they want facts and they, they want to ask critical questions. We were really happy when we had the first panel debate There, uh, we, we, we got some really critical questions about, for, for example, we got the one we get often, which is, why is this just up to the Australian state? And then we had the Australians on the panel being able to say, well, we don't trust the state like you guys do. And I think that's been a realization for the Australians in the delegation as well that Norwegians really trust their state. We're, we're used to them taking care of a lot of the thinking for us, and we, and we trust them, so we, we, we think that if something is wrong, there's going to be some kind of thing in the process that's going to pick up the wrongdoing. And that's the difference between Australia and Norway that we have been able to point out.
1: Interesting. Was there a certain amount of, like, shame that you felt like with this was it because you're mentioning it was this, this realization in this moment at the paddle outs in australia where you're just like whoa they're talking about me here yeah like how does that feel on like an emotional level it's, it's it's terrible like i i can remember i like i started
6: shaking like i was there to take photos right so you feel when your hand is shaking when you're trying to trying to take a photo I was like this is this is madness like all these people they're here because of something in my country and in some way like my company as well like there is this is this is all like one thing like Equinor isn't like just a separate company in Norway that do their own thing there's 67% state-owned Norwegians own them and if they do something bad in another country, we, we feel bad. Like, that's, that's just how it is. And we've we kind of grown up being taught, uh, we, we've been taught a lot about like, the oil industry and what it, what it has done. Like, I have a childhood memory of one of my, I think it was one of my uncles coming out from a gas station with a little gift to me and my brother. And what we each got was a small little bottle which had a little bit of the first oil that was extracted from the North Sea. And it was kind of like a little souvenir or like kind of a little piece of Norway. Like, look at this, this is what we're proud of. And this was back in the 80s. So the the, the climate debate was of course not at the same point there. And it was something you could really be, be proud of back then. But now in 2019, like that's like, no one would give a little bottle of oil to a kid and say this is the future this is this is what you should this is what you should kind of love and look up to
1: bottle of oil for your uh, for your birthday something to be proud of thank god uh, things certainly have changed uh, and Runa's story is a really That's interesting really cool. one, and one that kind of situates the human element from the Norwegian perspective dreams. on all this. Uh, yeah. There is a certain amount of shame, there is a certain amount of responsibility, I know, and it's real. Yeah, I Forgot know, to introduce him again, know, by yeah. the way, so.
6: Yeah, so, uh, my name is Runa Walsness. I'm the Norway comms lead for uh, the Great Australian Bite Alliance, and the Great Australian Bite Alliance is um, uh, are several Australian NGOs that all work together on the fight for the bite campaign
1: so i've really got to get better at that this whole introduction of people but um a huge thank you to runa for his efforts ongoing in this campaign i wanted to before wrapping up with heath's full uh interview or sorry his full presentation to the uh agm I wanted to go a little bit behind the scenes To give you an idea of how he was feeling In the lead up to this So this is a little chat with him on the car ride To the Equinor AGM Before he delivered that great speech oh, on your phone, make me on the phone. Okay Going to double up How you feeling? You're about an hour out Yeah, I'm feeling good
7: Just um, refined my speech Quite a bit, thanks to Bryn it was, Which was um, yeah, feeling Feeling good about it now Feel like it's you know we don't get very long. We've only got a couple of minutes to speak. It's really hard to say everything you want to say in such a short amount of time. Hmm. Um, but I'm feeling like we're going to get you know the get the point across in those couple of minutes. So
1: yeah. What are some of the things you've had to kind of adjust what you're going to say? But like, what are some of the things you're going to focus on?
7: I'm just focusing on the the concerns of the surfers and fishermen mainly. Of, Of Australia, you know, we're very, 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 very concerned and feel that our lifestyle is being directly threatened by this project. So that's what I'm trying to get across. And and the the growing amount of opposition.
1: You've um, you've probably been like in your competitive career. You're probably in situations where you probably had a few nerves. Like, where does this rate compared to those moments? You know, like. You're like, let's bring up a competitive moment. You are the, the Australian pro junior champion once, so you you would have been nervous in the final, surf so if you had to have to win that, how does this rate compared to that?
7: Well, I don't know, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, mate, to be honest, probably probably similar. Yeah? <clears throat> yeah, I don't think I'm any more nervous. I think I'll be fine. I'm not. I'm just gonna picture them all naked and it should be
1: sweet. Well, that strategy must have worked because, well, he wasn't really smiling, but Heath Josky went on to deliver, you know, one of the greatest speeches I think a surf has ever given. I don't know. Call me out on that if anyone's listening and they think they've found a better one. I'm happy to be proven wrong. But the way he delivered uh, this, this message from surfers and fishermen in Australia, it was um, truly inspirational, but my words won't do it any justice. So as a bit of an outro, let's... How about we hear it all one more time? This is a little bit of a didgeridoo performance as well from Bunalori that took place after that paddle out we had in Oslo. About 150 people in the water, almost double that on land. It was my epic. Me. My name is
0: Heath Josky from Streaky Bay in the Great Australian Bight. I've come from the opposite side of the globe to represent my son, my wife, my family, surfers and fishermen and communities all over Australia. 90% of Australians live close to the sea. Many of us use the ocean every day. The ocean has been inextricably linked to Australian culture and identity for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people as far, as far, for as long as our history goes. For me, it's my place of work, where I go to play, my teacher, a place to escape the heat in summer, and a place I take my family to play, relax, and connect with nature. It is everything. We see your plans to drill in the bite as a direct threat to our culture and identity. When I moved to the bite, I was blown away by the amount of fishermen working out of the rich waters. The fishermen of South Australia are extremely concerned. In many cases, fishing families run generations deep, and it brings them immense pride to carry on tradition from father to son again and again. Surfers from all over Australia are extremely concerned. They have banded together in a way that we have never seen worldwide. A surfer's letter has been signed by Australia's most iconic surfers. Between them, there are 28 world titles. The Bight is a sacred playground for Australian surfers, as has been shown in the paddle outs. A paddle out is traditionally a show of respect to elders past. But since your draft environmental plan was released, it has been used as a show of protest against your plans every single weekend. The numbers are growing and up to 10 paddle outs have taken place during a single day. This covers nearly every part of our surfable coastline from southern Western Australia to coastal Queensland. Every community that stands up encourages us locals in the bite that we are not alone in fighting this and far from it. I was never planning on being an activist, but your plans represent a project that threatens my whole existence. I had no choice, and that is exactly how these other Aussies feel. Not only does a spill threaten our identity, but the implications of the project proceeding do too. We cannot afford to open a frontier field and continue to mindlessly abuse oil for many decades to come. Our oceans and planet can simply not sustain that pressure and abuse. To finish, I'd like to read one of the hundreds of letters that I have presented to you earlier. Dear Equinor, Last July, on a cold and windy morning, on the rugged coast of the Great Australian Bight, a tight-knit community of Cactus Beach surfers threw my grandfather's ashes and some wattle into the freezing ocean. His name was Whale, because he never got out of the water. I didn't know his real name till I was about 10 years old. Grandpa Whale is back where he belongs, in the depths of the Southern Ocean, with the whales, nestled in the rocks of the Bight Cliffs, among the seagrass meadows, where countless other aboriginal ancestors also lay to rest. I believe Yalata's elders have not even been consulted on this. Honestly, I don't want my grandpa covered in oil. I don't want any of it covered in oil. And I just don't believe you know the true extent of the Southern Ocean's ferocity. You cannot do this safely, and shouldn't, even if you could, because of the climate emergency we find ourselves in. This isn't just about us here. Think about your children, please. I'm begging you. And I'd just like to let you know that the Australian movement's getting bigger and bigger, and the more further you progress and the more suppressed you you, you, say, you put us by saying you, we give you 31,000 submissions and you only take into consideration 13, the angrier we get and the more opposition you're going to get. Thank you.
1: Pretty powerful stuff, right? So where is the fight for the bite at right now? Uh, There's a bit of time that's passed since these efforts in the AGM. But the most recent news we have is that the offshore oil and gas regulator, Nopsema, in Australia, has asked uh, Equinor for more information on their application to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. Um, And it kind of says that the environmental plan really isn't up to scratch you could say so there's definitely this fight is still ongoing um it's being fought on a number of different fronts but we can all do our bit um paddle outs are still taking place Um, there is planning already in place to uh, approach next year's agm anyone listening to this who wants to step up their involvement um everyone involved would really greatly appreciate the support uh i hope um you know from the podcaster's perspective you know i really hope that you learn something new about what happens, at least in this um, this kind of corporate setting when it comes to fighting these types of fights in the boardrooms and AGMs of the biggest companies in the world. But that's not for everyone. You know, some of us just like to paddle out. Some of us like to write an article. Some of us like to podcast. Um, we can all do our own unique things to make a difference on this issue. So don't feel powerless. Feel empowered. And... You just have to agree that that was a great speech from Heath Joski, right? So enough from me and hopefully let's all continue to fight this fight together.